I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zachary Rancourt, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. And this is a very, very crazy individual himself. He loves Fall Out Boy, he loves The Office, <laughs> and he loves cookies. And his name is David Dassaw. Ayo! Cookie Man. Uh, yeah, that's, 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 I, what, that's what they call you, right? The Cookie Man? <laughs> uh, I don't think any... I, now you call me the Cookie Man, <laughs> which has never happened before this, uh, but I do make excellent chocolate chip cookies. Because so. you're always taking dumps. <laughs> <laughs> Plop, really, still? We owe that to Andy, at least. <laughs> that's so good. Dwight Jr. over there. Right, um, yeah. yeah, David of the Geek Garage podcast. So happy that your podcast is back up and running. I mm -hmm. saw that you just dropped a new episode that is on my playlist why don't you tell everybody about it real quick uh yeah um i mean first of all thanks for having me back um for this awesome uh friday the 13th themed episode um, i'm excited again to it, get into it but yeah um we uh you had a great idea to to do six um and i my original idea was just like maybe a retrospective or like, let's pick out our favorite moments from the franchise. Mm -hmm. um, but the, I was like, no, that's boring. And it's overdone. And like this franchise is like a million years old. So like we need it like something at least relatively new uh, and creative. And uh, my, my new like co-host in practice or in training, it was like, what if we just do like Jason versus everybody and like put a bunch of names in a hat uh like both horror and like non-horror antagonists and villains and just draw them and ask one simple question could jason kick their ass uh and uh, so that's what we did it ended up being a blast uh and uh, yeah so that hit uh officially this morning as of uh the friday the 13th so it's out there geek garage podcast we're on pretty much every podcast platform so Hell yeah, man. I am excited to listen to it. Yeah, it's uh, as we record this, it is Friday the 13th. And we are going to be doing Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives which is a very interesting film to say the least. Um, yes. But yeah, it was directed by Tom McLaughlin and he only really has done a Friday the 13th TV series and a uh, Freddy's Nightmares TV series, which is based off of A Nightmare on Elm Street. He did a few episodes of those. There was rumor he was supposed to direct, direct Scream, but that was before Wes Craven uh, took over. So right. uh, that's kind of what Mr. McLaughlin has done. It was also written by Tom McLaughlin, Sean S. Cunningham, the original creator of Friday the 13th, and Victor Miller. 
Movie stars Tom Matthews, Tom with a T-H-O-M, uh, Jennifer Cook, David Kagan, Carrie Noonan, Renee Jones, Tom Fridley, C.J. Graham, Darcy DeMoss, Vincent Guastafero? Guastafero. I thought you were going to say Goulet. 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 Who let those dogs out? Who let those crazy mutts go? (laughs) Tony Goldwyn and Nancy McLaughlin, which is kind of funny that Tony Goldwyn's in this for a very brief moment. Critically, uh, part six, Jason Lives, it has a six out of ten on IMDb, so not terrible, but not great either. I think it should be higher. I think it should be higher. Can you take me higher? Uh, 50, <laughs> 50% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and 53 audience. So that's a bummer. But again, I have my own beliefs about Rotten Tomatoes. They can suck a fat dick. Yes. But it is what it is. So Yeah. Um, so I own all of the Friday the 13th films uh, today. If you are listening to this today, uh, it's the perfect time to buy the collection. You can buy the eight film collection on like Blu-ray or digital pretty much anywhere for reasonably cheap. Uh, I have them and they're all on Apple TV for me. Uh, and I freaking love watching them all the time. But it's also available on Max if you want to stream it that way. Uh, budget for Friday the 13th Part 6, $3 million estimated. Opening weekend was August 3rd, 1986, where it made about $6.8 million. And then the U.S. and Canada gross, it was $19,472 and some change. There we go. I kind of messed that up, but some change. (laughs) Some fun trivia facts for you there. Crew member Dan Bradley played Jason on the first day of shooting, which is why Jason's build in the paintball scenes are different. This is also why Jason's eye color changes during the film. Paramount Paramount had seen the first day's rushes and asked that Jason be recast, feeling that Bradley looked too bulky for the role. Therefore, Graham was given the part. That is really a bummer. Like, hey, you're too (laughs) fat to play Jason. Can you (laughs) need you to lose a few LBs there before you can play this guy behind a mask? So that's uh that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little odd. I mean, like, I'd buy that Jason, you know, in his decomposed state or whatever might have ballooned up, like, you know, full of gases and stuff. Like mm-hmm. but, you know, whatever. Yeah. I guess we can't all be scientists, right? So I don't know. <laughs> I suppose. Years after the release of this film, Kevin Williamson told director Tom McLaughlin that this film had a huge influence on him growing up and helped inspire him to write his meta slasher film Scream. So that is fascinating. And I remembered that tidbit of trivia because while I was watching the film, I just was like, huh, I wonder what what he means. But then it kind of came to me a little more and more as I as I watched it time and time again. The first and only film in the series, including New Line Cinema's three quote-unquote Jason films and the 2009 reboot, to feature absolutely no nudity, although there is one sex scene. Reportedly, writer-director Tom McLaughlin had approached actress Darcy DeMoss about appearing topless in her sex scene. She refused. But he admitted later he felt uncomfortable about suggesting such a thing, but had to had tried to appease his producers, who felt that the hardcore audience had come to expect it. It is also the lowest earning film in the franchise, though the two factors very, very likely aren't connected. That is fascinating. Usually you see some nudity in these horror films. They mm-hmm. go hand in hand. It's like a peanut butter, jelly, lemon, tuna fish. So um, <laughs> spaghetti and meatballs, spaghetti and meatball. I don't really know why there wasn't, but it didn't really matter to me. I, I, I didn't really care. So, yeah, it, it seemed like they were uh, like 
first it seemed like he was more than okay that she said no because you know like you said he was kind of uncomfortable asking and seemed like it was something that the studio was pushing for and like i uh i'm a fan of the dead meat uh youtube channel and podcast so So i (laughs) yeah i uh i've seen the kill count for um the whole series but number six in particular countless times and i just rewatched it again yesterday Mm -hmm. and um yeah i uh, was re-remembering some facts about that and it just seemed like the studio interference with this movie was absolute garbage like yeah yeah just putting their their hands in when they shouldn't have been and just let them do their thing but uh yeah putting those hands in that cookie jar just like you the cookie monster (laughs) precisely and then finally the cheeky james bond nod at the beginning was meant to set the tone for the film Quote, it was something that was going to be just another Jason movie, but kind of an homage to the other slasher films, as well as kind of a satirization of them at the same time. I loved the opening. It was so fun with him walking across and slashing, yeah. doing the typical James Bond thing. Yeah, I, that that like set the tone for the whole film. And I was like, OK, there we go. Yeah, yeah that was fun. I liked it. Different and awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyone who has not seen Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, here is a spoiler-filled synopsis. If you don't want to listen to it, uh, go ahead and jump ahead five minutes, give or take, and there we go. Superhuman serial killer Jason Voorhees has been dead and buried for six years. However, Tommy Jarvis, who killed Jason in self-defense when he was 12 years old, is still haunted by his encounter, resulting in his be- in his having been institutionalized for an extended period of time. Intent on cremating Jason's body to rid himself of his demons, Tommy escapes the mental hospital with his friend, Haas, and breaks into the cemetery containing Jason's grave. He and Haas exhume Jason's casket, but before they can cremate the body, an infuriated Tommy begins stabbing it with a steel fence post. The post acts as a conductor for an ongoing lightning storm, and Jason is resurrected from the dead. He kills Haas with a punch through the heart and throws his body into the exhumed coffin, prompting Tommy to flee the cemetery. Tommy returns to the town of Crystal Lake, the site of Jason's killings, which has now been renamed Forest Green to distance itself from negative publicity. Tommy attempts to warn the town arrogant sheriff Mike Garris of Jason's return, but Garris, aware of Tommy's institutionalization, writes him off as a disturbed and writes him off as disturbed and has him locked in a holding cell. Meanwhile, Jason begins to trek back to the lake that was the site of his drowning as a child. En route, he uncover, or encounters Elizabeth and Darren, a pair of summer camp supervisors who are themselves headed to the lake to supervise the reopening of the summer camp. Jason attacks and kills them, leaving their bodies in the woods. The next morning, Sheriff Garris's daughter, Megan, who is slated to be one of the camp counselors, arrives with her fellow counselors, Court, Sissy, and Paula, to report Elizabeth and Darren missing. Tommy cites their disappearance as evidence of Jason's return, but he is met with hostility from everyone but Megan, who takes a liking to him. Sheriff Gareth sends the counselors off to the campsite and then escorts Tommy out of town. En route, Tommy flees to the cemetery to try and show Garris the open grave, only to discover that the groundskeeper, fearful of being implicated for digging up the grave due to his alcoholism, has covered the grave and consequently Ha's body with dirt. Garris handcuffs Tommy and takes him to the city limits, warning him not to return. Get out of town! Meanwhile, (laughs) you're out of here. A quintet of business people playing paintball in the woods are set upon by Jason, who kills them and steals their supplies. That night, Jason continues making his way back to Crystal Lake, in the process, killing the gravedigger and a nearby couple having a late night picnic. Weird. 
Court meets up with a local girl, Nikki, and leaves the camp to have sex with her in the woods. They end up in Jason's path and are both killed by him. Sheriff Garris ultimately finds the bodies and believes that Tommy has killed them, living out a delusion of Jason's return. Tommy, meanwhile, has contacted Megan, having figured out a way to defeat Jason after, after having read books on monsters and folklore. I wonder what Otis said. Put chain around neck, dragged to bottom of, of water. Like, <laughs> okay. Right. He can be incapacitated by being trapped beneath the surface of the lake where he drowned. Megan attempts to bring Tommy back to camp, but they are intercepted by one of Garrus's roadblocks. Tommy is arrested and Megan is escorted back to the police station to await her father's return from the field. The police... The police's attention on Tommy permits Jason to slip into the summer camp where he kills Paula and Sissy, but refrains from harming any of the children. Megan and Tommy escape the police station. I don't know why I said it that way and make it to the lake where they where the pursuing police are forced to acknowledge Jason's return when he attacks them. Garrus and his deputies briefly incapacitate Jason by shooting him with high-caliber weapons, but Jason ultimately recovers and kills them all. He then attempts to kill Megan, but is distracted by Tommy, who beckons to him from the lake. Seemingly remembering Tommy, Jason abandons Megan and wades out to the lake, where Tommy ambushes him with a chain attached to a large boulder. A fight ensues, during which both Tommy and Jason are knocked into the water. As Tommy attempts to swim to the surface, Jason pulls him underwater, and he loses consciousness. Uh, Megan swims out to save Tommy and is likewise attacked by Jason, but finally incapacitates him by driving a motorboat propeller into his head. Back on land, Megan revives Tommy with CPR and the children celebrate. At the bottom of the lake, Jason floats, attached to the boulder, but still alive but powerless to escape. Okay. So, David, with 12 movies in the franchise, that's even with the Jason reboot, the 2009 version, Mm -hmm. Jason Voorhees has really kind of been everywhere, and he has killed people in a myriad of ways. We've seen some pretty amazing kills. Friday the 13th has done a lot of adjusting from the early days of Camp Crystal Lake, and we, as viewers, have seen the series take some highs and some really shitty lows, like Jason Takes Manhattan. After the abysmal Friday the 13th Part 5, The New Beginning, I'm sure you've seen it, you know, this movie supposedly changed the game. So I'm talking about Part 6. Part 6 supposedly changed the game. Mm -hmm. So what about Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives? What about it, if anything, makes it stick out from all the other movies? So, yeah, this uh, this is a good question. Um, It it really, it just has that feel. It's like, oh, this is definitely something different um and uh so one thing i i think helped contribute to that is that it uh every single aspect of the movie increased in quality so uh the way it was shot and filmed um the the actors and their level of uh i i I guess qualification or (laughs) their acting ability the kid actors um there was you know a car a awesome car chase scene and uh, a great one take um like chase scene through the graveyard when when the cops are chasing Tommy mm-hmm. um so like you know all the all the the aspects of what makes uh, a film a good film i i think increased uh, w- with this one so there's that and then um felt actually like a a movie or a film rather than just a um 
a hollow vehicle in mm-hmm. which to just see uh, a masked killer uh, kill off a bunch of characters. Um, not to say that's exactly what all of the preceding Friday the 13th and all prior uh, horror slashers have been. Um, but that's kind of how a lot of them had been treated at the right. time. It's just like, you know, we're we're looking for, you know, a, a popcorn flick. It doesn't matter what the story is. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if the actors are good or not. Um, we They just need to be there as ca- cannon fodder and we need a final girl and that's it. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think those couple of things really helped set this movie apart from the rest. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. It definitely was not like the other films where one through four center around Crystal Lake and it kind of follows the same paradigm of, you know, teenagers or counselors or whatever going to a house and getting picked off one by one. And this movie, aside from it being meta and having lines like, you know, the gravedigger when he is is shoveling dirt on the body he sees the foot sticking out and he says some people have uh you know a sick imagination for entertainment or something like that he says something in the sense that where he's poking fun at us and it's it's like you know how could you watch this kind of shit as entertainment or (laughs) the kids who are like we're dead meat like you know he's they say that as they're under a bed hiding when they've clearly seen jason already and he's just very calm but it's like we're dead meat and i'm like okay (laughs) yeah um but I loved that aspect. And so this one just completely went off the rails because the kills are absurd. Um, they're fun. And I say fun in the sense of, you know, when he gets the machete, he rips it off that guy's arm. He like throws him and his arm rips off and he hits the tree and then it leaves a happy face like a Wilson, right? <laughs> right. Well said. <laughs> well said. It's ridiculous, but it definitely, yeah, they don't really necessarily focus on the final girl. Um, like Megan can be, but it's it, this is more Tommy's story since he's right. a continuing character, and and I think it's it's fun with with how they how they did that. Um, the music also is intense; it's a little more upbeat. Mm. Um, and and you know, I mean, uh, back to your episode too. Uh, your the co-host, uh, what was it? Amanda? Is her name? Or not Amanda. Amanda? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, she was saying that uh, she likes more of the campiness and the mm-hmm. comedy in horror. I'm not necessarily like that way, but this one really works for me yeah. because Jason is still so menacing, but yeah. he's not trying to be funny. He's like, you know, a puppy doing things. And it's like when he rips that guy's arm off, he kind of looks at it. He's like, whatever. And takes the, <laughs> takes the machete. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Like, uh, no, that's a, a great point because, uh, I, you know, I just recently, I think we talked about this on a previous episode of yours or maybe mine. I don't know. Um, but the, uh, I, I recently rewatched the the franchise and in the earlier movies, I, for, like once Jason is finally part of the picture and it's not his mom, uh, I forgot exactly how long it takes into the franchise to have Jason actually feel and look scary. Like, mm-hmm. Like you don't see a lot of like full body shots up until the the end of the the movie of the first couple of movies, but it just looks like a a worker dude in like you know some bib overalls and you know <laughs> and shoes like it just looks like a random dude. Whereas like in in like 
four, five, and six, like especially this one, like he looks like someone you don't want to fuck with. But uh, at the same time, like you said, it's, you know, it's got some humor to it. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, um, that's really important for this movie because we've seen that with A Nightmare on Elm Street before. You know, Freddy Krueger is a comedic villain, but it wasn't until maybe about three when we really started to see him do some uh, comedic, you know, throwing some comedic quips and stuff. Welcome to primetime, bitch, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, and in the second one, he had kind of sort of like slightly funny moments, but he was still menacing. So it's like, I think you have to find the perfect balance and Jason's good in this one. Now, the ones after this are tough. Um, part part seven isn't bad. It's just, it's not very good either. And then part eight is the one, you know, Manhattan, Jason takes mm-hmm. Manhattan, and it's just out of control, stupid. Yeah, another issue where uh, studio interference. Yeah. Was, yeah, like they they slash the budget, haha, pun intended. <laughs> um, yeah, they they cut the budget thinking that, I, I, don't, I don't know how the you know, what the bell curve looks like for the, you know, what the last couple of movies brought in compared to earlier on in the franchise. But so maybe that had some influence, but yeah, they, they didn't have the money uh, to, to do like to shoot everything in NYC. Like they wanted to, they just got the, the times square shots and then everything was else was shot in like back alleys of uh, Ontario, I think somewhere in Canada. Um, But yeah, um, you know, it's one of those things. One of those things. Yeah. Well, and I want to kind of follow up on this. So Jason lives, you know, it's full of camp, campiness, not not sleepaway camp or anything, but sure. Campiness, funniness, whatever. Um, this movie borderlines scary, but embraces the absurdity that it creates from the beginning. It's relentless and humorous with a plethora of fantastic kills, I guess. And I was talking about, you know, uh, Fred or I'm sorry, a nightmare on Elm Street is campiness and horror a good thing. And I guess how much is too much? Yeah, so I think it definitely can be a good thing, but only if there's room for it and it fits the story um, or, or, you know, just the, the overall, yeah, the, the story, like what's what's going on, what's being talked about, what's happening. So in this case, like slashers, I think nine out of 10 times camp can be embraced uh, without issue. Um, again, you know, there's there's different levels. Uh, you know, there's, I think all the ones that we're familiar with, like, uh, like Jason and Freddie, um, sometimes Michael Myers. I mean, we all know the, the nineties, the Michael Myers <laughs> yeah. movies where he's like kickboxing with LL Cool J or whoever the fuck I, I trick or treat motherfucker, <laughs> but with Busta Rhymes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, they definitely were okay with camp, uh, during that era of Michael Myers. Um, but, um, you know, then there's other, you know, slashers, uh, you know, like, um, especially the non-franchised ones like blood and black lace, like is an old, uh, older, um, uh, I was not, I was about to say noir. It's, uh, the Giallo, um, mm-hmm. the Italian Giallo film that, uh, is, it felt like a very early scream. I, I watched it recently cause it's on my 100 horror movies scratch off poster. Oh, nice. Uh, and that's uh, like, I don't know, it like had a little bit of tongue in cheek. Like I said, it felt like a very, like, uh, uh, a movie that could have inspired, uh, you know, some of the, the camp and the, um, the self, uh, 
self-awareness uh that scream you know tends to you know have in its movies but yeah yeah i so yeah i, I think it, it just you kind of have to be uh you have to weigh the you know what the story is um you know and, and then like there's other uh sub-genres uh in horror like elevated horror where uh the tone probably does uh doesn't call for uh campiness and wouldn't be like i mean can you imagine like campiness and hereditary (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was thinking or like like, you know a hole in the grounds like something like that where it's like you know artfully shot and you know well acted and all of a sudden like you have someone doing the macarena or some shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're absolutely right it definitely serves a purpose and i think more and more um in the past probably five or six years, we've seen some horror films take the more comedic approach. So I'm thinking of movies like Freaky or this new one, Totally Killer, or mm. like Happy Death Day. Uh, there are, for all intents and purposes, Happy Death Day is supposed to be a horror film, but it's pretty comedic. And it really works because you're talking about a movie about time travel, right? So that that can be fine. And I think particularly for slasher films, yeah, I can't see a Michael Myers being funny like in these in the David Gordon Green ones. Um, I mean, he was funny because of the choices they made with the character, which were mm-hmm. just stupid. But Evil like, dies tonight. Oh, Evil God. dies. tonight. Evil died I, a long time ago. <laughs> I still like quick aside. I still think that David Gordon Green put that in there or whoever the, the script writer was. I, I think they put that in there. They're like, yes, we understand that this is dumb as fuck. That's why we're putting oh, it in there is because like, you know, that's what a, a rabid mob would you know start chanting like fucking idiots Mm -hmm. but anyways well and and specifically i mean i wrote this question with the idea of uh everything after dream warriors for a nightmare on elm street Mm three dream warriors everything after that it's all just ridiculousness for freddy (laughs) krueger yeah Um, i mean some of his kills are really fun but i mean you got a roach motel one you have a girl like binge eating and, and blowing up um, there's, there's a kid that goes into a video game. It's fucking terrible. Like there are some terrible, stupid kills and right. he's just like unbearable with how he is, uh, even to a degree in, I love this movie, but Freddie versus Jason, he's kind of ridiculous at times and, it, but it kind of fits who he is, I think. And they found a way to balance him out. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's, that's, what's hard, but you're absolutely right. You can't see this in a hereditary or something that's supposed to be more cerebral because mm-hmm. you're kind of, it kind of takes you away from it. Right. Right. Exactly. So, oh. um, well, let's talk about more of those, those slashers. You got Jason, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger. Those are some of the OG original gangsta tried and true slashers in horror cinema history. I'm sure there are a ton more. And so that's why I'm going to ask you who are some of your favorite slashers that you can think of? Uh, yeah, so those Lock three. Me up. I'm a slasher. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so other than those three, because, you know, all those are obviously on my list. They're the OGs, like you said. Um, Chucky, I've never been a huge Child's Play fan. Uh, it wasn't, I, I think it might be a product of just not growing up with it. Like, I, I don't think I saw the original until, in full at least, I saw clips you know, uh, growing up, but never the whole thing. Uh, but it wasn't until maybe two years ago, two or three years ago, where I finally saw the, the entire first movie. 
And I was like, ah, it's okay. Like, I understand why it was, you know, a big deal and why it kicked off a franchise, you know, back in the late 80s. But, you know, it's just like I've grown as a, a, a horror fan. So my appreciation level is pretty high. So even if it's not for me, I can still appreciate it for what it is. And I'm glad that other, you know, people like call Chucky like their favorite. Yeah. Um, And especially getting later, like, uh, when Jennifer Tilly hits in Bride of Chucky, like in my opinion, they go up in quality, like yeah, exponentially. Um, but that's another podcast. Um, so yeah, uh, Chucky, uh, Pearl from Pearl. Ooh, good one. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's kind of new uh, or newer, so you know, I, I, I'm willing to bet not a lot of people would necessarily think of her as a slasher, um, or just you know. It, I think people tend to think of the the franchise franchised villains, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that are slashers. Um, but yeah, her uh, Leatherface, obviously. Um, the Miner, or uh, from Bloody Valentine, I, I can't oh, remember. Yeah. If, <laughs> d- does that villain have like a a, a moniker, a name? I, uh, I can't remember. I don't know the the pickaxe guy. Yeah, exactly. You're right, the Miner. Yeah. I don't know his uh, name. It's yeah, it's something, but um, that, that's another weird instance. Like I, I remember like I think we talked about the the remake. Didn't we do an episode on like, yeah, the remake? We did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we. So you know, if you want to hear our thoughts about that, your um, uh, here's me plugging episodes of your own podcast. Um, no, that was yours, I believe. Was I, it? I, oh, yeah, I oh, guess yeah, it, that's I guessed right. on yours. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but no, the the '80s version is uh, the original is definitely mm-hmm. better, which is kind of kind of weird. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> and then I m- mentioned Blood and Black Lace. That's a good one um, that I think people should check out. I believe it's on Tubi right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then Candyman, both the uh, the '90s original and the 2019 remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's 2019, and then Freaky. Uh, that one's really good too. I like that. Actually, yeah, I didn't mind Freaky. I like the concept of it. I kind of wish it didn't have Vince Vaughn because I sometimes can't stand Vince Vaughn. But I really mm-hmm. like Catherine Newton. I thought she was awesome, and she did a, like a phenomenal job in it. So, uh, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, I, I think Freaky worked because for like ninety ninety five percent of the movie, it's Vince Vaughn playing off type. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily off type, but, you know, he's never played like a high school, uh, you know, teenage girl before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was fun to see him as like this crazed psychopathic killer at the beginning, you know, in that the mansion, you know, when he just slices and dices his way through like oh, that yeah. group of teenagers. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, whatever happens, happens and he trades places. So I thought it was cool to watch um you know the the girl the teenager as the slasher for the whole movie i agree it was fun it was like that movie the hot chick with rob Lowe, except or with rob uh whatever is it was like rob schneider yeah oh yeah rob schneider no i said rob Lowe. Uh, same thing yeah those are great choices i absolutely love Candyman. Uh, Mm. he's freaky as shit and i think that the remake or requel whatever you want to call it um, with Yaya Abdul Mateen, I think is his name. And that one was awesome, and mm. I I yeah, really enjoyed it. But Chucky is one of those ones. Yeah, he has gotten better 
And I actually need to watch the TV series because, because I, I heard it's too. actually pretty good. I have too. Yeah, I, I finally, uh, I got through all of the movies and then I was like, okay, like I'm going to take a break <laughs> now and watch some other stuff and then I'll c- come back to the series um, in a couple mm-hmm. weeks. So. Yeah, uh, I, I was thinking, you know, Ghostface is always a classic for me because I absolutely love Scream. I'm not I know you're not huge on it, but I absolutely love Scream. And yeah, it's, it's just it's cool. You know, Ghostface is, is more the moniker because it's always a different killer. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert each time. And so I think that's really neat because it's a it, it could be anybody sort of thing. The Scooby Doo narrative. It's right. old man Marley from the haunted amusement park. Right. And so that's always great. Um uh, who else did I have? Oh, duh. Norman Bates. Norman oh, yeah. Bates is, is a great one. I mean, one of the original, you know, slashers and mm-hmm. granted in the first one, he only really kills like a, a couple people. Right. But you get a really deep dive into his into his psyche during that film. And that's what makes it so scary. And yeah. then very underrated are Psycho 2 and 3 which yeah, I implore heard. everyone to watch because it gets more into Norman Bates and it's fuck They're fucking awesome. They're right. super cool. So I enjoy that a lot. I don't know if this is technically a slasher or this could be classified as a physical slasher, but I just call it death from final destination um, <laughs> because, because final destination is still a beloved franchise by me. Like I've seen all of them. They're kind of stupid, but I love how, how creative they can be with the de- the kills and mm-hmm. it always makes me second guess things i know you guys were talking about this on your show about like the log jam i mean every right. from final destination to everyone gets freaked out driving behind a log truck because of that movie and right. so i love the idea of an entity that's not there that could be controlling this and pulling the strings and you're just like oops so yeah i like the idea of looking at uh at the final destination franchise as like a pseudo slasher. I, I think mm-hmm. that's a, a fun way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. So, um, I like that a lot, but, it, but OG has got to be Jason for me. I mean, even, even more so than Michael Myers. Yeah. You, you know, I used to love Michael Myers and I still do. I can appreciate the hell out of him and appreciate Halloween. I just don't know if I need to be watching Halloween every Halloween it's mm-hmm. just kind of boring for me now, uh, but I still love Michael Myers in general. But but Friday the 13th, I mean, I could eat, watch those on repeat. I pretty much do like today. They're just going to be playing nonstop on my TV. And so it's it's just the, w- the way it needs to go. It's it's excellent. But I think Jason is probably my favorite. Yeah, I think Friday the 13th has really good rewatchability uh, yeah. in that regard. Like the, um, you know, the Halloween franchise obviously has some rewatchability too, especially if you prefer your slashers to be less comical and a little bit more serious. So you, you might, you know, find that mm-hmm. that's your case. Uh, and if it is, then, you know, that's great. Uh, good for you. But like with me, and I and I think you, Zach, like it's just it's more fun if it's, you know, a bit, like we said, a bit campy and fun and um and silly and doesn't take itself too seriously. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, just one dude's opinion. Well, there you go. It's a cool dude, too. Yeah. So speaking. 
Speaking of slasher films, I'm segueing really well into all of these. Uh, the paradigm mm-hmm. seems to be uh, in all these slasher films that sexually promiscuous teenagers are targeted victims by the menacing villains. And for some reason, it's always almost it's almost always teenagers who are the victim. It's not really adults or geriatric adults or anything. It's <laughs> usually sexy, sexy teenagers. We know that there's no nudity in this, but it's still they're still 18, 19 year old kids. So I guess why is this? Why do you have to have teenagers for for horror films? I get like, do you have any examples of slasher movies with maybe an older generation as the victim? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> and I, I yeah. yeah, I was racking my brain. I was like, I, I don't. I mean, this is a tried and true formula, and so I I really racked my brain to see if there was anything that was not like teens, or at least like in the 18 to 35 or 40 demographic. And it, that's pretty much the demographic of the, the victims. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I definitely have answers for the other parts of your questions. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'd say it's not really a slasher, but like the thing uh, mm-hmm. that targets an older demographic. Sure. But that's more alien based and more just craziness. So that kind of makes sense. But I can't really think of like a slasher or a traditional slasher. I think that's maybe what we're thinking of when it comes to this that really deals with more adult victims. But I wonder if it's part partly because we're all afraid of things that go bump in the night and a, a, a camp, a sleepaway camp is usually the younger teens. And so I look at Michael Myers or I look at Halloween and I look at Friday the 13th and Halloween was about the it was like the babysitter murders. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, what's more terrifying than being a high school kid watching other kids and you getting stalked by a murderous guy with a mask on with a William Shatner mask? Right. I mean, that's pretty terrifying. Um, as an adult, you might have a little more. I don't know, mental strength, physical strength, prowess, just knowing how to be an adult. Um, so there's a lot behind it. And so uh, I think that that has to play into it. And it would be a really interesting take to see a slasher with with adults. I mean, maybe like how we did, you know, we recently did our VHS 85 episode and we talked about future installments. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of fun to do a slasher with more geriatric people or I don't not you know, like midlife people. It'd be a really interesting take where they're making bolder decisions instead of being like, let's go hide in this in this shed with all these like sickles and (laughs) sharp (laughs) blades inside of it. Right. They they actually make decisions like, wait, what? No, what are we doing? Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Maybe like a um, like a high school reunion type of thing, Mm, like mm -hmm. like a like a a 20 or 30 year uh, reunion where they're like, you know, in their 40s or 50s, maybe. And but like like the a, a group like a, a close-knit group like goes to you know buy a, or um, all pitch in on a cabin somewhere or you know go camping or something and so you know that's kind of a a uh, I don't know what do you call it um, that's the reason why they they're all getting together and why they're all a little bit longer in the tooth as opposed mm-hmm. to you know the the ripe teens is that like they're it's kind of similar to the the classic uh, setup of a slasher except it's a good excuse for them to be uh, like why they would be older so yeah i dig it and i, I mean i think that's definitely an idea for 
a fun movie and a fun mm-hmm. whatever. So, and that's what the, the, with horror, we always try to talk about having unique ideas. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's really neat. Uh, it just keeps yeah. me excited about the genre. I should yeah. say, as long as you're willing to kind of push the envelope. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, you know, I explained that this movie has 12 films in its franchise. At what point, David, do film series kind of just become enough? Like, why are we drawn to the continuation of these movies, even though we know they're going to be inferior? And I'm looking at things like Saw, the Saw series. Uh, I mean, even VHS to a degree. Uh, what else is out there? Leprechaun, Phantasm, uh, The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Why, why do these need to keep getting drawn out besides the obvious fact of money? But like, do do they get stale? And and like, when is it when is it enough for you? So uh, I, I think I mean, for me, at least when it becomes enough, it, it's a case by case basis for sure. Um, and I'll, I'll save part of this for my hot take. Um, OK, at the ass end. But. Yeah, I I don't think that like it will ever be quote unquote enough. Like I, I think there will always be like new ways to resurrect a character uh and or a franchise and just milk it for money, more money uh you know, like you said, but aside from that, like I think this um you know setting aside reasons why movies uh in the 80s and 90s would get a lot of uh um, you know, remakes or, or sequels and whatnot. Um, I think a lot of people will still watch them just to shit on them. Like all the people <laughs> yeah. that shit on the David Gordon Green um, Halloween trilogy, like they they were all like, yeah, I'm going to watch it. I've already made up my mind. I haven't seen a second of any movie, but I've already decided that I hate all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they watch them and then it just, you know, confirmation bias kicks in and they're like, yes, like uh, this, th- these are terrible. And so people just will watch, you know, that sequel that, shouldn't have been made or they didn't want made in the first place because they think it somehow erases the original. Um, and they'll watch it just just a shit on it. Um, also we can be gluttons for punishments. Like, (laughs) so this is kind of like a a subsect of the, the last point. So like we might go into something expect like with relatively low expectations and still, but like, we're like, we have to give it a chance. Like, like we have to see it because it carries the title and like maybe certain characters are reprising their roles after, you know, X amount of years of being either out of the, the, the acting game or, you know, that franchise, um, you know, like, uh, what's her name? El- Ellen Burstyn, um, oh, yeah. reprising her role in the exorcist. Um, so, you know, that's, kind of a, an example of that. And then there's people like me, the eternal optimists who uh, put it out into the universe. Like maybe this will be good. And then sometimes it is <laughs> a lot of the times it isn't. Um, but you know, it's like people still worked on that movie. I, you know, this is where the eternal optimist kicks in. I like to give them the benefit of the doubt that like they had good intentions on making it a good remake or reboot or requel. Um, and so, you know, people still worked really hard on that movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like to think that it it deserves, you know, 
90 minutes of my attention, especially if I am invested in that franchise. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely uh, nowadays more of the let's check out new titles kind of idea, Uh, whether it's, you know, just movies that have existed for a while and I haven't had a chance to check them out yet or just generally they're they're new to everyone. Um, In that way, it's kind of cool to get in on the ground floor and be like, yeah, like I remember seeing like the first one in theaters, like like I remember seeing the ring in theaters and I was like 16 or 17 years old. And like, you know, it, it didn't garner the best franchise. Like mm-hmm. th- three was kind of bad, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of my take on it. What do you think? No, you're right. Uh, and I think you said it. I think the thing that stuck out the most for me was the 90 minute thing. You know, if it's only an hour and a half, I'll give it a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's absolute shit, you know, I'll give it a chance. And I think like you're right with the tried and true stuff with saw. I'm not going to go see jigsaw. I'm not going to go see saw X in theaters. I'm just going to wait till it comes out on streaming. Um, and I know that's not maybe necessarily the best thing. Cause you know, I should probably be giving money, but I think that's also a convoluted thing as well. Um, it's just more, I don't want to go to a theater to watch this movie and people will be on their cell phones and, and whatever. I'd rather yeah. just be at my house and, and watch it. And so it could be really good. It could be bad. It could be middle of the road, but it's it's fine because I'm here for the legacy for the saga to kind of see what they can keep pumping out. Um, there are things that maybe need to die, but also you never know. There could mm-hmm. be something new and you got to give it a shot at least before you can say that it's absolute trash. So like yeah. the Exorcist Believer, I'm going to see it, even though I'm hearing terrible reviews on it. I'm still going to see it because I'd like to formulate my own opinion. Yes. Uh, but I'm not going to see it in theaters. So, um, but <laughs> sure. I mean, they have like what David Gordon Green signed on for two more of those ones. So it's kind of like, you know, they're going to keep milking that franchise. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but e- Evil Dead, you know, we both liked the the new Evil Dead movie. Yeah. And, for sure. uh, you know, because mommy's with the maggots now. <laughs> mommy's with the maggots now. So cool. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it, you know, it's a lot. And I, I want to touch because I, I, Forgot to mention this um, about Friday the 13th part six. There was a article from Collider uh, early January, January 11th, 2023 by Liam Goff Goffin. I think is how you say his name. And basically he was explaining why Friday the 13th Jason lives is the best of the series. It says, and I quote, however, Jason, Jason lives didn't just pull off the reoccurring storyline. It changed up the franchise's tone for the better. Jason lives is self-referential. It breaks the fourth wall to spoof the saga's recurring elements. And it was the perfect way to justify the confused continuity and appease longtime Friday the 13th fans. And that's right. There was a lot of weird continuity, like in from, you know, uh, number five, the beginning that mm-hmm. was really fucking weird. And you're just like, wait, why does he keep dying and doing these things? And so that ongoing trope of, you know, you could kill Michael Myers, but he's going to come back to life. This is like, well, yeah, Jason came back to life very much akin to Frankenstein's monster. I mean, <laughs> that's that's a logical explanation, which is also highly illogical. Like, right. you can't get struck by lightning twice by this rod and then boom, you're back. You know, your corpse is stronger than ever. And and. McLaughlin, when he was making this movie, understood that. And so I think that's the reason I I mentioned that because I skipped it earlier is because if you can inject new life into a franchise like that and you can change it up and where they took a serious slasher genre and made it more self-referential and more meta, that's cool. 
And I think that that is like, well, even if it's not a home run, it's still something different that I really appreciate. Right. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good. Good stuff. So with that being said, go watch every Final Destination. They're <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yes. Uh, five is, in fact, real bad. Oh, it's um, bad. Yeah. Uh, the, but I, I am excited for the new one. There's um, a new one? It, uh, I mean, it, it. I think it's due out next year. But oh, um, yeah, I... I, and uh, um, what's his name? Um, Devin Sawa. Candyman. Oh, um, Tony Todd. Tony Todd. He will be back reprising his role as the oh, dude yeah. who comes in for five minutes and talks about death and yeah, destination like, yeah, and fate. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. great. Yeah. As he like rips open bodies, like given this. bodies hit the floor. <laughs> Imagine like, you know how people have been doing um, AI generated photos of Steve oh, yeah. Harvey, like yeah. at a, like screaming into mics at hardcore shows. Yeah. Like, like imagine a uh, Tony Todd, like doing the same thing, <laughs> <laughs> like being the lead singer of uh drowning pool, like oh, the bodies at the floor. That would be, I'd pay good money to see that. So. I would. Yeah. The thing about Final Destination that drives me crazy, it's like the Final Destination. And I'm like, okay, so is this the final one? And then it's like nope. two years later, it's like the most Final Destination. <laughs> it's as final as Friday the 13th, three, the final chapter. Four, yeah, four, or the final four. chapter. Yeah. And then you're like, a new beginning. And you're like, oh my God, come on. <laughs> That's what drives. And the same thing with Saw. It was Saw 7, you know, the final chapter. And then it's like, Psych, we got Jigsaw. Psych, we have Spiral or mm-hmm. whatever. And then they're like, Saw X. Yeah, Spiral is good. Curious. Like Jigsaw and Spiral are are up there for me with yeah. like one and three. Like yeah, two is J- okay. Jigsaw is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but uh, have you seen Spiral yet? I, I forgot. No, I know what happens because I watched like a recap on it. And oh, I okay. just, uh, I haven't seen it, but I can't take Chris Rock as serious as a horror actor, but he could be. He, uh, so I, he's actually pretty damn good. Like his, his acting chops in it or, I mean, you know, he, they, uh, whoever wrote it, um, did a good job of writing his personality, uh, catered to the actual, his actual character. Um, so he's like a believable detective, um, you know, making his jokes and stuff like being that, you know, that kind of cop where like he's pitted all alongside other cops that are a bit more serious. So, you know, you in, in like cop detective movies, um, or in any situations where there's a lot of detectives in a, in a film, you know, you have one that's like a lot more serious, maybe he's like the hardened cop. And then you have like the younger one or mm-hmm. just the, you know, the partner that is more lackadaisical and, you know, is making jokes at the victim's expense or whatever. And right. that's like, you know, at, at the risk of sounding like, a, like I'm reducing his role. Like that's kind of what they did is they just wrote it to his, uh, wrote it to Chris rocks, like personality type and his actual jokes too. Like the jokes that he delivers in the movie sound exactly like, <laughs> like jokes that he would tell on stage, which was kind of fun. So I I'd say it's worth seeing. Keep oh. my wife's name out your mouth. <laughs> I just got slipped the shit out of by Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> this month she slapped the shit out of me. That's crazy stuff. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, finally, uh, similar to Jaws and the effect he had on, or Jaws, he or she, had on Beach Dwellers, Jason Voorhees definitely most probably made me and made other people second-guess their camping excursions. I'm a big backpacker, camper, all that kind of stuff. When I hear things go bump in the night, I do somewhat slightly have trepidation and think, maybe that's Jason Voorhees out there. Um, obviously, it's not, but at the same time, there might be. There's a, a 1% chance. Did this movie do the same for you uh, with the whole Jason being scared of going outside? And if not, I guess what movie has had that Jaws effect for you? Um, so uh, I, I've never liked camping. Um, I mean, it, it's okay, but like, you know, like camping as a kid, I liked it a little bit better. Um, I, I have some some memories of camping in like the Redwood Forest that were pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like it didn't really deter me from camping because it wasn't really my thing to begin with. Um, but, uh, the, the ones, uh, the movies that do tend to carry that kind of weight that, um, that, or that have that effect, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, it deters me from doing X, Y, and Z. Like they, they carry a more emotional and psychological weight. So mm-hmm. like hereditary before I wake hole in the ground, the Babadook, uh, pet cemetery and pet cemetery bloodlines and pet cemetery, the actual book, um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they prey on, um, you know, parts of your brain and soul, uh, for a, a fear of being a shit parent. And, you know, you might be able to kind of like pseudo relate to this. Like I, I, I know you're, you know, you have a y- lovely lady in your life who has a child. Um, and so you kind of know what it's like and, but like, and again, don't want to be that a hole that's like, until you have a child, um, actually, <laughs> uh, but like, um, that's actually, um, actually, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, to me, that's usually what like tends to scare me and like might deter me from watching those kinds of movies in the immediate future. Like, like when I watched Hereditary, I was not okay <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Like I steered cleared from like emotionally heavy and like um uh like elevated horror like that for a little while um until I was until I felt like emotionally ready to kind of watch more of that. So yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it. Is you know there there really isn't something like Friday the 13th where it's like, you know, Hey, this, or this happened in an ocean or this happened at a lake or happened in a suburban neighborhood or in a sewer. Like, you know, it's, I don't know. It hasn't really been the thing, but, um, you know, like I said, more mental for me. What about you? Um, I mean, I, I think definitely Jason, um, anything paranormal, like we've discussed before that, gets me a little bit where living alone, you hear the bump in the night and you're like, Oh, is that Pazuzu or is that this whatever demon? And you get a little, little scared. Speaking of that, it's funny. I saw this thing on Instagram today and it was a little comic strip that I posted on my story. And it said, have you exercised the demons? And then the, uh, the exorcist is like, uh, yep. And the demons come out and they're all jacked. (laughs) Like like, hell yeah. Always reminds me of, uh, Ace Ventura. He's like, I have exercised the demons. Oh, 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 that's double pain soundproof glass. (laughs) 
Oh God. So good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, arachnophobia, we talked about the spiders. I just, oh, I mean, yeah. that preyed on my fear of spiders mm-hmm. in, in that sense. Um, there aren't really any other ones necessary. Like Chucky, I never get scared of because nope. kick the shit out of that doll. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much any possession or alien movie will get me. But otherwise, I'm not really scared of slasher movies. Those don't those don't really affect me that much. Yeah. Um, Scream, you know, anybody could really be a ghost face. But at the same, same time, they make really stupid decisions in Scream. So you're kind of with the with the protagonist. You're like, man, you deserve to die. You're you're being an idiot right now. Right. And, and uh, that's that's something. But Jaws, I could see how Jaws definitely scared people in the water. Yeah. I just don't have a proximity to swimmable water like that because up here mm-hmm. in washington state it's very cold in the pacific ocean so you don't really go swimming in that but right exactly I, I mean anytime i go in a lake sure i am a little worried that something's gonna grab me from from underneath you know yeah. whether whether that be the the loch ness monster i'm sorry not the loch ness monster the creature from the black lagoon or like a, an alligator from lake placid mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean that could be that could be something but it's not anything in particular that yeah. truly scares me i would say yeah, the I, I'd say the ocean is the biggest one for me. Like I, I remember watching the intro to Jaws uh, at a young age, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, oh my <laughs> like god. that that dude is just like passed out on the beach, and his girlfriend was just dragged down below. Like, what have <laughs> I gotten myself into? And I think I stopped watching it after that because I was like, I, I don't think I I want to go any further into this. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that may have had some influence, but I, I remember at a, at a young age, I was still living in California. It's maybe about seven or eight. And we were, uh, we went to a lake and, um, you know, having a picnic and it was our family. And like, I, I think some friends, my parents, and we were all there having a good time. And it was that day that it finally clicked for me that we share the lake with other animals oh, yeah. <laughs> like fish live in the lake. Uh, it, it just, for whatever reason, never clicked for me. I remember seeing, like, I thought it was a leaf just kind of like, you know, floating weirdly by my foot. And then I realized it was a fish and I was like, holy fuck. And ever since, like, I'm not terrified of lakes and oceans, but it is like the scariest part of, the earth <laughs> to me <laughs> and uh like yeah. i i will go in a pool all day long like a, a 20 foot 30 foot 50 foot deep uh deep end of the pool like no problem like it's still a little intimidating um because the idea of drowning but i know no fucking sharks are going to be in that pool mm-hmm. um so yeah I, <laughs> I i'd say like the jaws effect definitely you know had some effect on me yeah yeah, I I think that was a a universal theme because we hadn't we hadn't see, uh, seen that like ever and so it definitely yeah. fucked with people. Mm-hmm. Um but cool. Okay. Well, yeah. that was th- those are all the questions I have and this is gonna, this is like my favorite part and I I'm, I'm sitting on pins and needles because you discussed it earlier. Right. But your hottest take, I want you to defend uh your most controversial take on this movie, movies of this genre, actors, movies of this time favorite Halloween candies, whatever. Give me your hot take. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I'll, I'll throw in a, a little fun one um, that I didn't have planned. But since you mentioned candy, um, I I love candy corn. 
Um, so it's do not, I. It's not my favorite uh, Halloween. Can- like I prefer. I know you are a, a sweets over chocolate kind of person. Um, so, I, but I, I'm kind of the the opposite. Like I definitely prefer like Milky Way and Twix and Kit Kat and stuff like that. Not so much Snickers. Mm-hmm. Probably one of like three people on Earth that doesn't like Snickers. Um, but yeah, like candy corn, I really like. In fact, I saw this hilarious meme uh, earlier today of someone taking a rolling pin and rolling together making one giant like tortilla of candy corn and they rolled it up and like ate it like a fucking popsicle oh that's weird (laughs) i don't know if i could do that i don't know if i could do that (laughs) oh yeah my side is hurting like yeah it was so fucking funny (laughs) like just the look on their face when they like shoved it in their mouth i was like oh my (laughs) god it was great but yeah uh i i'm not gonna say like say something that will uh, have someone like driving by my house shooting at me uh, like like uh like candy corn is the best like i'm not gonna say that but i'm just gonna say like i like candy corn and i don't mm-hmm. like if you if you say the best way to eat candy corn is throw it in the garbage like just ship it to me and yeah. i will eat it for you i have no a mouth problem. and a stomach and i'll eat it exactly uh but yeah so the uh but my hot take that i originally wrote down um like you said uh, i kind of brought it up earlier when we were talking about um you know franchises that could uh you know stand to die off i am gonna say scream so i know it's kind of funny to say scream considering it's one of the earlier or like the uh not earlier the younger of the slasher and horror franchises as a whole Mm -hmm. like you know uh michael myers and freddie and jason like and Chucky, they've all uh, all been around since like the late seventies, early eighties, or mid eighties. Um, and Scream was, you know, like ninety four, ninety six. The mm-hmm. the first movie came out, and so um, I know it's a little odd to say that, but like I I think Scream the way it's structured, uh, especially now, like since uh, Sydney's character or the, the character of Sydney is still alive in the canon Mm -hmm. like i think that they could successfully close out that franchise like with her death like she takes out um you know uh the final ghost face um you know but you know she kills herself with him or something like that like um so yeah I, i just that's also because i don't have a lot of a lot invested in scream you know mm-hmm. we talked about this a lot on your podcast on mine that it's just not my favorite like I, I can appreciate the hell out of it but uh yeah if i had to pick one to die like i'd be like scream in a heartbeat um yeah or at yeah. least you know for a little bit <laughs> i agree with you that they need to pull out all the stops and and kill sydney um or you know this last one she was done and I think she she didn't show up for it. And I think that that was a good move, but he, like they didn't kill off Gail Weathers and they, they could have brought Stu back. They had the perfect setup for Stu. And mm. yeah, I think it's really hard because we get so attached to these characters, but if yeah. you want to change it up, like we were talking about earlier with not making things stale, you gotta, you gotta kill some, kill some bitches. So. yeah exactly i you know i i actually i enjoyed the last two scream movies um mm-hmm. and uh I, I liked the the last one except for the end like the twist ending like i i can't remember where you landed on that like if you didn't like it either or but so 
Yeah, scream. You're talking about Scream uh, Six, right? Yeah, like the with the the dad and the two sons. Like, so I couldn't. Spoiler stand, alert! My yeah, bad. <laughs> I couldn't stand that ending. I thought it was absolutely terrible. But I really enjoyed the movie as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was super fun. Ghostface was very like. He's know, actually scary, brutal, and and believable. Um, and so they did a lot of fun stuff in the movie. I just was mad that they wouldn't just completely pull the trigger and and take off with it when they should have. And so I personally think it was setting up wonderfully for uh, Stu yeah. to Stu Mocker to come back and, you know, be the killer. Cause they talked about, Oh, he's collected all these things through the years. And I'm like, Oh duh, that's gotta be Stu then that's the perfect way. And then it's just, Hey, we're Richie's family. I'm like, that's so dumb. <laughs> Because, you know, they could have killed Gail. They could have taken some other opportunities. But you're right. They do have the, the right formula down for it. It's right. just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. But, you know, that's, like I said, it's it's my hot take. You know, I, hot like take. I said. Yeah. Anyways. Love it. Okay, cool. I dig it. Um, I don't really know if I have a hot take necessarily. I, I would say that Jason Voorhees is the best slasher of all time. And I think it's not even close. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's not even close. I mean, I think it's just so fun what you can do with him because he's not a he's just a monster. He just mm-hmm. kills, 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 kills. He's not I don't I don't want to say smart. He's just he's not like a Freddy Krueger or even Michael Myers to a degree where Michael will be hiding in stuff. Jason just appears out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, he has some gotcha, times. When he hides, like when he grabs uh, the girl that Court's having sex with in the RV and like, you know, he keeps her quiet. And I'm like, Jesus, dude, why don't you just go out and start killing people? (laughs) But he definitely shows more brutality. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, you know, that's why I'm saying for your episode. I'm excited to hear that because I don't know how many people could survive against Jason Voorhees. He's just just too much. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we we tried to give every give Jason and every villain slash antagonist a fair shake. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, like we would give our knee jerk reaction on who would win, um, and then we would talk it out. Like we would, uh, we tried to draw a a line um, in the sand where, like, you know, we have to consider what we know Jason's capable of, and we have to consider what we know this this other villain is capable of and you know, who might be able to best who, but we don't want to get ridiculous with it. Uh, mostly because we could go on for like 45 minutes with each one. And we only yeah. wanted to restrict it to a 90 minute podcast. So um, yeah, it, it was, it was a fun conversation. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, mm-hmm. So why don't you go ahead and plug your podcast real quick and uh, tell us where you are on the socials. Yeah, so it's uh, the Geek Garage podcast. Um, we are uh, active on Instagram and Facebook, uh, but most active on Facebook because we have a Facebook group called the Geek Garage Podcast Fans and Listeners. Um, we do fun polls and conversations, and uh, we, we cover the, the spectrum of everything geeky, nerdy, uh, pop culture, you know, et cetera, um, and obviously horror as well. Um, and we try and be as inclusive and accessible as possible. So, you know, if you're into like Star Trek and don't know much about Star Wars, like you could still tune in and like learn a little something and not be lost in the weeds. So cool. Um, that's kind of our thing. Love it. Yeah, I'm excited to be on it and uh, mm-hmm. again and go from there. Yeah. 
David, as always, thank you so much. Finally, though, I forgot this big part. What's your letter grade for Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives? Oh, yeah, um, I'll give it a, uh, I'll give it like a B plus. Ooh, okay. I dig yeah. it. Yeah, yeah I'm right there with you. B plus for me. I think this is like my second favorite of the franchise. I think Chapter 4 is my favorite. This one is the boldest, I think, and they do a lot of fun stuff in it. That's why I love it, and I've watched mm-hmm. it a bunch of times. So yeah, it's got to be a B plus for me. Uh, yeah, I uh, I think it might have gotten knocked up to an A if, I, I hope this doesn't make me sound sleazy and perverted, but if there was some boobs in it, I, I think it might have been knocked up because like I fully appreciate what they were going for, uh, mm-hmm. what the director was going for uh, with the you know whole no nudity thing, or I mean that wasn't an active thing, but more coincidence. But um, yeah, it was just you know something that was missing from I think what all other Friday the Thirteenth films was was some nudity or well they had I mean yeah there was nudity in other Friday the Thirteenth movies, but uh, yeah. yeah this one didn't have it and yeah. Yeah, like I said, uh, at, at the risk of sounding like a friggin' skis ball, uh, <laughs> uh, I, it might have gotten knocked up a, a couple pegs, maybe to a, an A minus or an A if, uh, if there were some boobies. Um, just boobies. Rounded out. Um, but yeah, um, still super solid film. Um, boobs. Boobs. Show us your boobs. There you go. Okay, David, thank you so much. No, thank um, you. And everyone else, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter and threads at DBCrazyPod and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us if we're crazy, or just send us funny memes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you like us. Additionally, we're also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.